The podcast you're about to hear was recorded on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Cadigal people of the Ayora Nation, and we respect the traditional custodians of the land on which you are hearing this podcast. Sovereignty was never ceded, and we stand with the traditional owners of the land in their fight for justice. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 78 for Friday, 18th of January, 2019. I'm Jeremy Sear, and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host who help me discuss what's just been happening to our country, what's likely to happen at any moment, and hopefully what we can do about it. Tonight's guest host is returning guest host, Kristen O'Connell. Hi, Kristen. Hi, Jeremy. How are you doing? I am warm because I have had to turn off the air conditioner because it is loud and rattles, and it is still toasty. <laughs> Very toasty. Uncomfortably toasty. Yeah. But fortunately, even though we've just had, what was it, on Tuesday, the fifth, hottest 15 sites in the world were in Australia, and we've just had, what was it, the last nine of the 10 hottest years were in the last 15 or something since 2005. But it's all fine. Nothing to worry about. Yeah. Everything's fine. New colours being invented. I don't think anybody denies that we do have actual climate change now, though. I don't think anybody is literally saying, no, no, nah, it's just like normal variations. I mean, there, there are probably still some idiots out there saying, maybe it's the sun. <clears throat> maybe the sun's moving a bit or something. What about like badgers farting? I don't know. There might be something other than the humans pouring ever increasing amounts of carbon compounds into the atmosphere. You never know. You never know. It's all natural, obviously. Nothing to worry about. We certainly weren't heading towards an ice age until the industrial age. Oh, on the plus side, if we've stopped that ice age, ice ages aren't good either. Yes, the ice age that was 11,000 years away. Yeah, but, you know, in the nick of time. <laughs> so that's been a pretty scary week. But, you know, it's just weather. It's always hot in summer. Never been this hot before. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with the word unprecedented or with the phrase record-breaking. <laughs> Those things just reassure us that we are within the parameters of what humans understand and know how to deal with, so there's nothing to worry about. I'm certainly not worried about anything except for perhaps the uh, death of a million native fish in the Murray-Darling this week. All right, well, M Michael McCormack says that it's because of a drought. I understand that these fish might have been like 100 years old, so it must be a drought that is unprecedented in the last 100 years, but also there's no climate change and it's definitely got nothing to do with ripping off huge amounts of water from the Murray-Darling, which clearly can't, can't handle it. No, and it's definitely not something that scientists have been warning about since the 90s, according to an article I read in The Conversation this week. Oh, who, who warned about it and what did they warn? What did they say? Well, actually, that's a really good question. But basically, scientists have been warning for a very long time to the New South Wales government and to the federal government that the river system was under incredible strain and that the policies in place were, you know, contributing to the risk of this sort of thing happening. So which policies? What were they doing? What killed it? What killed it? Well, it's quite remarkable. There's an article um, in the Journal of Hydrology published in February 2000, based on research done in the late 90s, showing that the annual runoff had reduced by 
42% in 60 years, that there had been all these other events that were showing how the river system was being harmed. And that was before a lot of the more recent challenges put in place by things like, you know, cotton growers taking increasing amounts of water from the system. So in the past... Oh, you're going to blame Cubby Station again just because of the vast amounts of the Murray-Darling that it took. (laughs) In the past 20 years, things have gotten increasingly worse since this paper was written and since people first started to try and raise the alarm about this. Um, But I think even further back in time, if we go slightly further back in time, we could uh, talk about how the river system was managed before white people invaded the continent and see that it managed to survive, from what we can tell, tens of thousands of years without running dry. But interestingly, the Barkanji uh, native title body was not invited to any of the discussions around how to handle the crisis this week. So it seems like everything's going fine. The Murray-Darling Basin Plan is perfectly suited to deliver the outcomes we need, and there's nothing to see here. So we should all move on, claim drought, and it's you know, think about the next problem. Well, and that's the thing. Like, once you understand that it's to do with a drought, it means that it doesn't matter how much water you take out of it because you've just got a drought. There's nothing we can do about it, so let's just rip off as much as we possibly can before it's all gone. That's right, because there might be another drought soon, so we better use it while it's here. Yeah, that's right. You don't want to waste that water by letting it, you know, sit there and keep fish alive. But I heard that the Greens were pushing for a Royal Commission into what had been happening with the management of the, the... Like, do they have any evidence of politicians boasting about how much they'd managed to rip off the water supply to, you know, pander to the their mates down at the pub, say in Shepparton, say in 2017. Is there audio of that? Surely not. That's outrageous. Oh, thank you. There's no way. That couldn't be possible. Incidentally, check out my Barnaby Joyce impression. Murray-Darling Basin Plan. $13 billion invested in it. We've taken water, put it back into agriculture, so we can look after you and make sure we don't have the greenies running the show, basically sending you out the back door. And that, that was that was a hard a hard ask, but we did it, and um, we're going to try and, and even last night, a couple nights ago, in four corners, you know what that's all about? It's about them trying to take more water off you, kind of create a calamity, a calamity for which the solution is they're going to take more water off you, shut more of your towns down, and um, I'm glad it's in our portfolio, the National Party portfolio, because we can go out and say no, 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 we're not we're not going to follow on that, we're not going to scare you. Uh, our focus. Even now, so always try and make sure that we, your economic fortunes are advanced by what we do. Building Better Regions Fund, um, all these funds have about half a billion dollars in there. So when you come up with some of these ideas, we've got a pool of money there set aside, which we can go in and, and try and help you out in specific projects as you, as you need them. Try and get you ahead. So, so that is my impression of Barnaby Joyce at a pub in Shepparton in July 2017. Oh. Uncanny. Uncanny. I think you'd have to agree that I do a pretty good Barnaby Joyce. It sounds almost as if that was an actual recording of him doing it. Yeah, look, I have to say, as I said, I thought it was impossible, but you've proven me wrong. It turns out we can sink even lower than what I would have expected. Even though it's me saying it about my own impressions, I think that is chilling. Like I've also got, you notice how I also managed to do the background noise and everything and make it sound exactly as if it was somebody recording Barnaby Joyce at a Shepherd and Pub in July 2017, right after a Four Corners report that was pointing out what was happening to the river. Absolutely. I think you've got a potential career there, Jeremy. Check, wait, wait for my Scott Morrison impression later in the podcast. Oh dear. I look forward to it.
Or do I? I don't think I do. Oh, yeah. As Scott Morrison, I'll be saying really, really <laughs> dumb things. Well, that's, that sounds consistent. I feel like that's what you need if you want to nail that impression. But back to Barnaby, it seems like your impression is pretty consistent with something that happened around the time of the Four Corners investigation into what was happening with uh, management of the Murray-Darling Basin, corruption in the New South Wales um, Department of Primary Industries and the New South Wales government covering its tracks in terms of how it was benefiting large cotton growers in the area and, you know, not upholding and environmental water flows they'd committed to under the or been expected to commit to under the uh, Murray-Darling Basin Plan. Is that around the same time when you were doing the impression from? Yeah, yeah, that's what I was... Uh, but I think, wasn't there also stuff where the New South Wales government had specifically... Or actually, no, wasn't the Abbott government had specifically shut down one of the authority or one of the regulatory bodies that was supposed to be managing those flows? Oh, I honestly can't keep track of all of the horrific decisions made by the Abbott government. So I could... Oh, I suppose you're in favour of a royal yes. commission into it, like the legislation the Greens are introducing <laughs> to Parliament to have a royal commission into this to find out what the hell's been going on. Look, if there was at least a smoking gun, or like the, my impression of Barnaby, to indicate that there was some high-level corruption going on involving the nationals and certain of their benefactors at the expense of other nationals' voters downstream, if only there was something like that that would justify an inquiry into it. Look, I think it would be great for us all to learn exactly what's going on, and a royal commission would be a huge help in that. Um, I also note that there is currently a royal commission going on, or a very recently concluded one in South Australia, and there have been great lengths gone to to prevent people from appearing. Um, at that Royal Commission. So I don't know uh, if, if this is going to go ahead. It would be a really useful thing, but I also kind of think, you know, we need to act now and I'd really like to see some actual um, proposals, some tangible proposals coming from the Morrison government even before an election is called about something like, I don't know, cutting off irrigators immediately, something like that. There was a reference I saw. Oh, you want to... You want to stop the problem getting worse, but the fish are already dead. It's true. Like, surely there are, that must be all the fish. Surely there are no fish left. Surely we've wiped out every single one of them. And, and you know, you might, we might as well just give up on it now. Well, according to this article, we haven't just wiped out the fish. There's probably also a whole bunch of other parts of the um, the ecosystem that have de- died, such as river mussels and, and all sorts of other um, wildlife that relies on the whole ecosystem to survive. Um, but, yeah, I think... Surely it's a rational decision to just, like, double down on the fact that we're just going to destroy the... It's like that... I don't don't know which Midnight Oil album it was, but what I picture that that the uh, Nationals planned for the Murray-Darling to be is like, you know, the cover of of Sydney Harbour completely drained. Is that the amount of water that, like, Cubby Station gets to rip out of the Murray-Darling? Yeah. Isn't there something about, like, it's the, the amount of water in the... In, in that in Port Jackson, in the Sydney Harbour area. That's right. Um, so if you literally drained it to, to produce that midnight oil cover, that's the amount of water that's being taken out of the Murray-Darling to go to these stations, or in fact, just one of the stations, I think. Yeah, I read that there, there was a certain period of time over which three times the quantity of water in Sydney Harbour had been drained from the river. And I think you're right that it was one particular station that had taken the equivalent of one um, full Sydney Harbour. So yeah, it's it's a small, it's just it's just you know it's just the leftovers really. It's nothing significant. So we should all just keep our pants on and stop worrying about it. I guess. Yeah, that's it. How, how I learned to stop worrying and uh, never rely on any functioning river systems in Australia and with no no impact whatsoever going forward. Um, talking <laughs> talking of the shocking stuff, didn't in there an audit going into? The uh, Great Barrier Reef grant under Turnbull, I think it was coming from Morrison as treasurer at that point, that $443 million grant. And as to this dodgy non-profit friendly organisation that's connected with the Libs, they got $443 million in three days. Like the, the, the audit was this ridiculous. Yes. And, but that was 
fairly consistent with their previous operating uh, budget where they had a revenue of about $10 million per year. Right. So you can just check 443. Um, so it was... It was they were well equipped to manage the increase and the injection of funds. But that's okay because the audit office has said that that was all completely fine. Oh, no, actually, sorry, correction there. They've actually said they failed to comply with rules designed to ensure transparency and value for money. Oh, good. So the Auditor General's not too happy with the process that was followed for that one. And isn't on top of the $443 million, somehow there are $86.1 million in additional admin costs. Yeah. I can't imagine how we could have better used those funds. I also trying to pick like sure i could have googled this and tried to figure out where that 86.1 million dollars was going but i imagine it's actually not that easy to find but let, let's just do let's do this like in the old days you know before google killed stupid pub arguments it's like that john finnamore sketch you know where, when you're at the pub and you don't know the answer to a question you know somebody goes and looks it up on their phone but if they hadn't they could have had a moronic discussion about what you know what the biggest city was in the world and with some mad suggestions but and just like that, the conversation died. <laughs> died? No. Murdered. Another victim chalked up to phones in pubs. So remember, think twice before you Google. You could be killing a chat. Can you imagine what 86.1... I'm trying to think that's a lot of money to spend on admin costs. Like, what exactly are they doing for $86.1 million? Well, I mean, I don't know. Have you seen uh, the... Internet bills of some of our senators, for example, <laughs> admin costs can spiral out of control quickly without you even realizing it. You know, eighty-six point one million—that—that's that is extraordinary. What if it's? It could be an interest charge or something from the bank, like a transaction cost for them having to like hold on to the half a billion dollars that they were given by the government. Oh, yeah. No, that's fair. That seems like a reasonable thing. For the <laughs> um, seems like a really good thing. The banks are definitely doing it tough at the moment, so it makes sense that these guys would be, you know, happy to pay such a fee. That said, okay, sure, that money's going nowhere whatsoever. It's just going in admin costs. But uh, it's it's still fairly small compared with the amount that it would cost to drill, drill a hole through the middle of the Blue Mountains as former Greens uh, state MP Jeremy Buckingham was asking Elon Musk to help him do this week for a road. Like, classic, classic Greens. Hang on a second. Jeremy, are you suggesting we would drill a tunnel through a World Heritage area for some For reason? a road? To film, put more on Sydney streets. A road, so not an incredibly. Is that an incredibly good reason? Well, look, yeah, I'm not saying that Jeremy Buckingham comes up with some. <laughs> it must be. There must be some incredible well, justification I don't know what it is, for this. It appears to have been uh, a brain fart from Mr. Buckingham, but I, I don't know. Are, are you, as somebody connected with the New South Wales Greens, now thinking, oh, finally there was some way we could entice Jeremy Buckingham back into the fold? Uh, look, I'm a strong believer in. Uh, the collective for over individuals so i don't think that any individual is irreplaceable and i'm very much against uh cult of personality and politics so i will leave my comment at that oh okay fair well, all right well let's let's go on to some scummo stuff first thing i want to so you know how scummo is often being blasted and you know over the summer summer he was blasted for his stupid photoshop thing on his, his shoes which wasn't his fault as he bravely threw his own department under the bus to, to make clear but there was the footage when he came back where he was talking about how when he's at the pub in shoalhaven people people just they're quiet all they're concerned about is the strong economy and you know well let me, let me play the audio oh sorry play the audio what i mean is let me do my impression of scott morrison and then you know what i found when i went to the shoalhaven heads hotel called in there with my family over the break 
was people weren't there shouting at each other like you find on social media or otherwise in the media. They're just quiet Australians living their lives. They need a strong economy to realise their future, to ensure the services that they rely on are there for them and their families. And that's what I'm focused on. I'm focused on those quiet Australians out there going to work every day, running their businesses, caring for others, yep. doing their jobs and not having the time to frankly get it caught up in the activism and the Twitter shouting that you seem, seems to dominate the headlines these days. Now, tell me that wasn't an actually convincing impression of Scott Morrison. <laughs> it was very persuasive, although I'm not sure you got quite the, you know, the down-home twang that you did with the Barnaby impression. Well, no, because they're different characters. Um, <laughs> anyway, so my Scott Morrison character, this is the thing. Like, I'm trying to have him, but it's a bit sort of Clark and Door stuff. And so what I want my, my Morrison character to do is things that sound plausible on the sur- surface but are clearly stupid. So in that one, what I was trying to do was the one where it's like, we must cut services so that we can cut taxes so that we can have a strong economy so that we can fund the services that we cut in step one. That's, that's incredibly logical to me. I can see how that works. Like it's their classic, <laughs> we recognise... Yeah, you like services? Well, you know the best way to fund services, to cut services. It's like his thing about... Uh, it's like Dutton's thing about why we must uh, keep persecuting refugees on remote islands. It's because persecuting refugees on remote islands is bad. And, and the only way to stop that is to stop people coming by persecuting refugees on remote islands. See, if you don't like that thing, that's why we must do that thing. This sounds like every conversation I've ever had at a pub, that's for sure. I I just think that we are missing a John Clark these days. And if I can somehow get my my brilliant satire of politicians saying things that are outrageously stupid, like, yeah, we have to cut services so we can fund services, or we have to torture refugees so we don't have to torture refugees. Like, if I can get those ones, I I just think that's, I think it's funny. Look, I think there is a, there is a space to be filled. Maybe you and Mark Humphreys could get something going together. He's uh, doing his best to fill those shoes on 7.30, but his impressions are nothing on yours, I have to say. I'd say he didn't do a very good impression of St Kilda Beach from a beach that looks suspiciously like Manly Beach. <laughs> but his impression of a Nazi was superlative, so, you know. It was. Um, he's obviously playing his secret Hitler. <laughs> nice segue. Oh, we're not going to talk about this because it's it's too niche, but, yes, there is a, there's a bit of anger uh, do you love the way that in this podcast I keep saying we're not going to talk about it, a thing? And what I mean by that is I'm going to do a very fast talk about the thing. So very quickly get it out of your system, Jeremy. <laughs> All right, there is a board game called Secret Hitler. The premise, it's a mainly social deduction game, so the idea is you have a group of people from like 5 to 10 or whatever. In this particular case, the majority, it's set in like Weimar, Germany, and a majority of the people are liberals, a minority are fascists. The fascists are trying to get Hitler elected chancellor, and the liberals are trying to figure out who the fascists are and stop them. The theming, I think, is defensible in the sense that it's... The message is, hey, keep your eye out for fascists. They can come back again, which is oddly appropriate given given what we were just talking about and, and uh, certain things happening in St Kilda a, a week ago. But it is also a subject that's clearly traumatic to people who've gone through the Holocaust and been connected to the Holocaust, which is why um, the... Um, it's called the Anti-Defamation League, the, the, the body in Australia that, that is concerned about about the rise of anti-Semitism, if that happens. They are very concerned about the existence and, and have, in fact, called for the game to stop being sold on the basis that having that reference in an entertainment product or a light entertainment product, I mean, I don't, I don't think they're calling for Schindler's List to be banned, which is technically an entertainment product, but I don't know how light you would call Schindler's List. Uh, on the basis that that is a, the making of light of it is a dangerous thing and it's traumatic to Holocaust survivors. 
which is probably true. I'm a bit iffy about whether I, I think that the theming of it. I know I know that the people who manu- manufactured it have gone. Okay, you don't like the secret Hitler? Well, we'll, we'll, we'll send out Trump cards. Secret Trump. The problem is that it became massively out of date immediately because all of the other characters that they'd done in Trump's administration were immediately sacked from, by Trump. So it's like you can't keep that one up to date. But anyway, so it's a it's a story from this week. So given given that, Kristen, do you think it's something that is? I mean, it's a, it's a fraught subject. If you see the game Secret Hitler on a border shelf, it's immediately something that you're like, mm, that's, um, what else is in this house? Did I accidentally walk into the home of Blair Cottrell? Although I think Blair Cottrell's home would have outright proud Hitler rather than secret Hitler. But yeah, I, th- I think I think there's something with a message of like, these bastards are sneaky and they can come back that isn't necessarily negative, but I can certainly see that it's a subject that's potentially fraught and that people should be conscious of the impact or the potential impact look to be honest i kind of feel like the problem with this game is more that with the way things are in australia at the moment if i saw that on someone's shelf i would assume that they were genuinely admirers of fascism so possibly the issue is with the name so maybe it needs to be fascists under the bed or something that uh implies that the fascists are not what we want in this game that they are in enti- you know they're the ones that we're supposed to be stamping on make it a bit clearer that you want to beat the fascists not join the fascists and then it might be a game that people would feel um a little bit less worried by yeah, I'd pay that. I think that it is by, either by one of the people connected with, or in fact, the company connected with Cards Against Humanity. So I suspect that the uh, title of the game is specifically in the same sense as the people who think that that, that game is a good game. Mm. It's designed to shock. So yes, I think I, I, if I recall seeing, I recall seeing something about when they were designing it and, the, and when they released the name or when they advised the publishers the name, they're like, are you effing kidding? <laughs> Don't do that. And then they did it anyway. Yeah, no, fair. Like, because once you're familiar with the idea of it, you sort of, your brain scoots past how the title looks in isolation. And the title is is disturbing. But look, let's move back to Scummo and away from fascists. Um, uh, are those see what I did there? different <laughs> directions? Are those, in fact, different directions, Jeremy? No, Scummo it stands for freedom and Australian values, and that is why he's enforcing patriotism on January 26th and punishing councils that don't have citizenship ceremonies in the format that he endorses. Any, any criticism of, of, the, of the great nation, of the fatherland, as it were, will not be tolerated, and certain dress codes will be vigorously enforced but in a way that is in no way concerning, given the previous subject. And what exactly is the punishment proposed for councils who don't want to throw First Peoples under a bus by holding celebrations and citizenship ceremonies on the 26th of January? Well, the punishment has been that they will take the power away from them. But look, it's hard getting the detail on this. It looks like he's trying to find a way of forcing it on councils more than that. But I don't know how you do that because local governments under state isn't it? It's uh, isn't it connected to the state government. So it's, I don't understand what power Morrison has other than, yes, his department can take away the power to have citizenship ceremonies because that is obviously a federal thing. Yeah. But I don't understand how he can literally force councils. The way it's being reported is like he's going to actually force councils to hold ceremonies on Australia Day. But I don't know. Sorry, when I say Australia Day, on January 26th, I'm sure that most of these councils will be more than happy to hold it on a- an Australia Day. What they just object to is doing is that date being, you know, the date that commemorates when the invasion of Australia commenced. It's like the biggest FU date that you can possibly have, given that it clearly ignores... Like, what is it about January 26, 1788? It's the date before that was all indigenous... When, when the country's indigenous people were not being colonised, and after that, it's when they were colonised. Like, it is specifically a date that says... Yeah, it marks the beginning of an important genocide, you know? It's insane. Now, 
I have let me let me make my proposal. Okay, before I make my proposal of what date we could pick instead, let's let's do all let's go through the details. So first of all, Scummo wants to enforce January twenty sixth, and so this is the classic you know a couple of weeks before Australia Day each year. The conservatives, the, the media run this war on our nation thing, and the idea that if you don't like Jan twenty sixth, that you you don't you don't love Australia. Um, now. <laughs> I have seen Indigenous activists being like, you know what? I forgot who it was who was saying, look, I don't even support, uh, you know what? I don't support change the date anymore. I don't think we're ready for it. It was Luke Pearson. Yeah. Luke Pearson from Indigenous X, and he's got bloody excellent reasons, and yeah. everyone should read that article. He was previously a strong supporter of the Change the Date campaign, and I think it was last year he published a piece with a change in perspective, essentially saying, there's nothing here to celebrate yet. Yeah. We need to get to a place where there is something that is worth celebrating and then we can figure out what date we should celebrate the country on but we're nowhere near that point yeah change australia before <laughs> maybe have a moratorium on on any kind of national mm. day of celebration well and it's not just indigenous people it's also like it's i find it really hard to celebrate a country that locks vulnerable refugees on remote islands to try and bully other ones to stay in danger like how do you like what is it about australia that we're celebrating yeah or things that people who are on centrelink benefits don't deserve to live yeah Seriously, fuck this country. Um, now that said, you, you say that on, on in an argument with with idiots on Facebook, and they're like, "Oh, you should leave then." No, 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 no. I'm not saying that fuck Australia forever. I'm saying fuck this version of Australia. We can do better, and we should be fighting to do better, and not just leave it in the hands of you nutcases who are doing this cruel stuff. So no. Well, and also, if those are the reasons that you don't want to support Australia, which country are you going to go to? There is nowhere that is doing a great job of you know repairing the harm done to first peoples no. of looking after the poorest and most disadvantaged in society. There is nowhere on earth yet that is doing that well across the board. There is nowhere that is free of racism. So these are problems that we want to fix within Australia and internationally. There is not just some, if there was a utopia, I would already be there. No one would be having to persuade me to stay here. I love the, the disconnect between the people who are like, hey, all the bad stuff that was in the past. It wasn't me. I'm not responsible for that. On the other hand, we definitely have to celebrate Australia Day on January 26th, commemorating a date in the past that I had nothing to do with, but I've, I've for some reason, basically ignorance, decided is a glorious moment. Mm. But, like, I love the thing of we, we, we take pride in the past of this country, but we don't take any responsibility for the shameful things that this country's done. They're in the past, but they're the past that we like to ignore, as opposed to this past, which we'd like to take glory from. Like, you can't have it both ways. You can't be like... Like, I don't have it both ways. I don't think that we individually are responsible for the genocide of indigenous people but we certainly benefit from the land that was stolen from them and from the economic conditions that were that are built on it and we certainly owe them for, for the stuff that we've done that's in our lifetime our failures to come to terms with it each of us is to the extent that we are a citizen in a country that much responsible for the fact that australia still hasn't like we need to have an actual i would like i don't want us to spend the rest of our lives as a country beating ourselves over the head for what happened in the past. But the only way we can move past that is to actually address it, acknowledge it, try to do something about it to the people who are the ongoing victims of what, what happened because it has long tendrils threat, you know, down, down to the present. And then, yeah, we can build on it. And once we've actually addressed it, then we can start to move on. But we refuse to do that. And we're just like, no, no, it's all in the past. Let's ignore it without ever having... When do they think we've addressed it? We've never addressed it. But what what might we do instead? Instead, it seems the proposal is that we'll force people to hold citizenship ceremonies and that punishment is enforceable. How? I understand there's a proposal to undermine that punishment. 
Oh, I think the Greens are proposing to... Uh, they've offered to come and do the ceremonies themselves because they're MPs. They're technically in, 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 enabled to do it. Although the department could refuse to give them the names of the people, I suppose, and make that difficult. And the Dutton and, and the uh, Attorney-General have deter- declared that they're going to try and... If the Greens do that, they'll take the power away from senators and MPs from doing that in the first place. Like, nothing makes good law like changing the law to spite your opponents. Oh, my God. <clears throat> they're brilliant. And were there any other proposals to try and address the issue with Invasion Day? Oh, well, Scummo says that we should go off and do it. Here's, here's my impression of Scummo saying some things. Oh, I'm not going to let it get eroded. That's my point. I'm not just going to not change it. I'm going to ensure that it doesn't get eroded and that it's constantly being reinvested in and can continually held up as an important day for all Australians to come together yeah. on that day. That's our, that's our historical day and we need to work together to come together on that day to ensure that we can make it an important day for all Australians, whatever their background. What I'm going to be doing this year, and I've had those discussions with my advisory council, mm. um, on the day before Australia Day, there are ceremonies held all around the country uh, indigenous ceremonies around dust. They're contemplative, reflective ceremonies. I think they're great. They have them here in Sydney. They have them in other parts of the country. And I think they're a good opportunity to pause and reflect. And I'd commend those uh, to, to anyone around the country uh, who want to, go, want to go along to one. There aren't too many of them these days, but I'd like to see that as a, a very informal tradition uh, um, um, taken up around the country. So there you are. I, I had actually heard that he was proposing 25th of January as like a second-rate day that, that would still be a national day and clearly demonstrate the FU to Indigenous people by having a small day in which we're like, mm, sorry about what we did, and then the next day, let's celebrate that we did. But it's not even that. Like, could it, from, on that audio grab that is me doing an impression of Scummo or alternatively is actually what Scummo said, he's only saying, oh, yeah, we've got some other... Th- people do these other things. You can go to them if you like. Like, it's that lame. So this proposal is the Prime Minister of Australia saying that all of the commemorations, events and protests that people who support the Day of Mourning would move their event from the Day of Mourning to a day other than the Day of Mourning. That's what he's suggesting at this point in time. Yeah, look, put like that, it sounds like a dick move. (laughs) I can't imagine. I can't imagine how. (sighs) It is a bit of a dick move, but, I mean, it's fine because, you know, we're about to have an election, there's a great chance that the opposition's going to take government. And I'm sure, I just feel really confident on this one, that Labor's got an excellent proposal to, to sort this all out. Hmm. Um, Kristen, let me, let me say a couple of words to you. Uh, Kevin Rudd, economic conservative. Julia Gillard, there will be no carbon tax in, under a government I lead. What do you reckon Bill Shorten did just before the election? Look, I am super confident that Bill Shorten has come out and probably equivocated, probably said a whole lot of words that didn't mean a whole lot. Am I in the right kind of, am I in the in the zone here? No, 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 no. This is pre, pre-election Labor where they can see the prize and they are absolutely paranoid at the idea of saying or doing anything, including standing for something principled, that the conservative media could scream as like, they're letting in refugees or they're not patriotic. So, of course, he said, no, we're not going to change the date. He did try and do a bit of the, hey, look, this is a silly thing. Why don't we all talk about how dumb the Conservatives are being raising this every year predictably like this? But, yeah, no, fundamentally, he, he made sure that um, there was no, no, no glimmer of daylight between him and the government on that. Look, to sit here and, you know, give a bit of good faith to the opposition leader, maybe he meant he won't change the date, he's going to abolish the date in accordance with, you know, many people who feel like Luke Pearson, (laughs) that it's not a 
Good thing to be doing at this point in time? No, you don't think so? Okay, well, it was worth a try. No, because the whole point of the whole point of changing is the, the, the point of not doing change the date was not to not do anything. It was to change Australia. It was to not deflect the energy and to change Australia. And clearly, Bill Shorten is not in any way promising to change Australia's treatment of Indigenous people in any meaningful or significant way. So no, um, it's uh. just classic Labor doing the just before the election, not just not not you know announcing progressive policy that they can be demonised for because they're terrified of being beaten by the Murdoch press. But more than that, it's that they do the, look, look, we just like the Libs, and they lock themselves into these positions before an election so that later, and the Libs and the Conservative media know that they'll be able to use this because they, they just know that they push them into this corner and Labor happily grabs the corner and, and with, with all their might and makes sure that the Conservative media and the, and the Liberals have the quotes that they can scream back at them after the election that you broke a promise not to do X and locking themselves in stupidly. And that is a thing that I don't think the Conservatives do before an election. I can't see the equivalent of that on the other side. I think that the, I, maybe it's because they know that the Murdoch press are the vicious ones and they don't have to worry about that so much. But it feels like this is a, a particularly centre-left problem where before elections they're just terrified of scaring the horses and they suddenly repeat a bunch of soft conservative positions and lock themselves in. Well, I mean, that is if you would describe Labour as centre-left, which... Not sure I'm there. I'm being extraordinarily generous. <laughs> I guess, you know, we can think about whether there are actual solutions to this. My personal one is just turn up to your day of mourning protests and support people in your community when they're reflecting on everything that's happened since Europeans invaded Australia in 1788. Have you got any suggestions, Jeremy? I do. I think we should, part of the, the third part of the podcast is suggesting what we could hopefully do about things. So I think we need a section which is basically, Jeremy's arrogant enough to think he has solutions. And the first one's on this, on Australia in particular. Obviously, I think what we need to do in terms of Indigenous people generally is basically have an equivalent of like a Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a big thing where we you know, make an actual effort as a country to determine once and for all what exactly we did, what were the details of the frontier wars, what we, we actually make, take a multi-year effort to actually genuinely find out the detail of what we've done and what the consequences are, have a, a proper commission into it, and then work out ways of addressing it. And we do it properly. We do it in a way that Indigenous people are actually happy, the people who are actually affected are happy with, and that's a reasonable, that, that is a reasonable effort to redress the wrongs of the past. And the first step of that is figuring out what those were in a detailed fashion without screaming at anybody, any historian who tries looking into it as, oh, it's black armband view of history and all the shit. So I think that's what we would need to do to start moving past it. But in the meantime, in terms of just simply the symbolism of Australia Day being on January 26, which is an ongoing, like it's not just a, here's a bad date, but it is a specific FU to Indigenous people every year that it comes around because it's, it is the day of mourning. But it's also like when you stand up and say January 26, 1788, that's the day that defines Australia. What you're saying is the day that defines Australia is the day that we took it from them. Like, it's a, a giant F you. Like, so that, that day, insofar as Australia is going to have a national day. Well, in a sense, to be honest, actually, the day that this country was stolen is what defines this country. But unfortunately, that's not what Australia Day seems to be about. No, not in a unifying way that one can celebrate. It, it's it's something defines Australia in a way that we should have a day of mourning on that day. Hmm. But it doesn't define Australia in a way that you should be celebrating and having, you know, fireworks off the Sydney Harbour Bridge. Different question about the amount of money that we spend on fireworks off the Sydney Harbour Bridge. But anyway, um, no. <clears throat> so in terms of Australia Day... It's like the um, flag thing where people are like, well, if we replace it, what will we replace it with? And there have been various suggestions for dates. But I think it's much more straightforward than that. I don't think we need to pick out, you know, the the day that celebrates the 67 referendum because that's problematic in and of itself. Do you know what I think we should do about the date? We should put a, an act through Parliament that is changing it uh, so that it's not on that date anymore. 
uh, and the date that that celebration takes place is the date it passes Parliament. That's the date that Australia at least stopped punching Indigenous people in the face every year with our National Day of Celebration and at least grew up as a country. You make it that date. It's going to be not in a holiday period because Parliament's not going to sit in a holiday. It's going to be you know, in a date which is appropriate for a public holiday because it's going to be when Parliament's sitting, which is only a limited period of time. Like, make that the date. A current date, the best date that summarises when Australia should celebrate Australia Day is the day that Australia stopped being dickheads and putting it on 26th of January. Like, don't you reckon that? You simply have the act that says it's the date this passes. I might be able to get on board with that idea, but, yeah, <laughs> I just I just can't bring myself to support the Australia Day concept at this point in time for similar reasons to uh, Terry I don't Pearson. disagree with that. So, um, I think that's a good proposal, yeah, for those who want to have an Australia Day, but I'm no. not there personally. Well, I am there in sense of if the country's going to keep doing it, can we still at least stop doing it on that date? It's just that we shouldn't at any point, once we've done that, yeah. conclude that we have, in fact, fixed the problem. May, you know what, though? Maybe maybe actually that is the point. Maybe we do do the proper Reconciliation Commission and we do that, that and we make the date of... Australia Day, the date that we actually address the problem and we actually respond to that. We make that the date that we celebrate. Well, I mean, I think some people have proposed Sorry Day, which obviously wasn't a meaningful solution to the challenges um, facing First Peoples, but was a significant day for people who had been affected by the stolen generation. So, yeah, that sort of idea um, could work. You say, when did Australia actually address the wrongs of the past? And they're like, the Sorry Day. You're like, that isn't the national government determining yeah. what we've done and, and actually apologising for it. it was, we had an apology for one specific atrocity. Not not all of them. <laughs> not the massacres. Yeah, which is ongoing and no acknowledgement that it is ongoing as well. All right. So the other one that I had an idea about, which was on the subject we were talking about last week, which was renters' rights. So I know that some people who have listened to this have had issues recently with landlords um, exerting their power to come and invade their home every six months because that's what apparently uh, renters should just have to put up with because it's the investors' property it's their real estate and sold the people for whom it's their home why shouldn't a random stranger be able to come into your house every six months okay because intrusive and ordinary people should have actual rights to their homes and even though they don't own the home they are paying rent to have a home and they should have rights as if they were people who you know the same rights that everybody else the people who own real estate having their homes anyway um, in terms of how you determine, like, because you have that argument with people, and the people can't get their head past the idea that in, it's an investor's property. You know, they've got to make sure that it's not on fire because it's their money. It's, you know, it's theirs. It's their investment. It's their their nest egg or whatever. All right. If you own a home, so all the people in Australia who don't, a very small percentage of people own their homes outright. Most most homes, are people where people aren't renting, they're still primarily owned by the bank. Would any of these people endure the bank saying, hey, um, we're relying on the security in your home, so we need to come through every six months to make sure that you're keeping it in an appropriate level so that if we needed to sell it suddenly and we decided to foreclose, that we could. So we're going to be coming through your house every six months. And it's not just going through your house every six months. To make The equivalent to what's happening to renters, we also have the right that if we don't like the way you're keeping your home, we'll foreclose on you and kick you out. So what I was proposing is that in terms of what renters' rights should be, should be and the way that governments should look at renters' rights is anything that... We don't accept banks doing to the people who have mortgages. We shouldn't accept landlords having the power to do that to renters for exactly the same reason, because the only reason they get to do it is because they have a financial interest in it. Well, banks have a financial interest. We don't accept it. Why don't we accept it? The only reason we accept it with renters is because we consider them second-class citizens. What's the argument as to why renters should have to put up with shit that everybody else doesn't? Why, why is 
then the same way, there is still a third party out there who has a financial interest who's impacted on the way you keep your home. And if that's your reason why renters should have to put up with having landlords come through and film their home every six months and sending a stranger through to do it, do you think that should apply to everybody? Because if not, it shouldn't apply to anyone. Well, I think we can bypass that whole proposal and just put permanent CCTV footage in everyone's home, whether it's, you know, got bank interests or landlord interests and that way you don't really need to put investment into the into the human resources to go about and do all the inspections so it's much more efficient my proposal it did occur to me that, that making the proposal that uh the the renters and mortgagees should have the same rights it did occur to me that, that could backfire and instead of improving renters rights it could just make mortgagees rights worse the banks might go hey yeah <laughs> we should be able to do that <laughs> But in terms of persuading people and making the point, I think that that I think I think that's a reasonable retort. Like, what if you're thinking about it and being like, it's, "No, of course they should." Right? You know, investors need to have that power. Why don't you think the banks do? And the only reason why people think of those things differently is they think renters because clearly people who've been able, yeah, second class citizens, people who've been able to save a deposit are obviously of a high caliber, and people who haven't been able to save a deposit are not of a high caliber, and that's clearly the reason here. Isn't that the bottom line? The bottom line is the idea that renters are, should be second class citizens; they should have second class rights because they're second class people. Yeah, and that's what we should be. You know, fighting against and th- and that really highlights that point anyway australia versus humanity surely we've got a, something good to talk about now <laughs> uh the 13 year old girl in held in hobart overnight for breaching a non-existent curfew oh yes of course not to mention she was strip searched and there was a horrific quote from her grandmother saying that the 13 year old girl who was uh taken into custody for no reason and from what I understand, she when she was picked up, she was very close to her home, but quite far from the Moran, Remand Centre where they took her. And there's no explanation as to why the officers didn't just take her home to her parents. But when they strip searched her, she resisted removing her underwear because she's a 13-year-old girl. And eventually she was, I guess, persuaded or forced to remove her underwear and given a hospital gown to stay in overnight. But the horror of this story, I just... I can't even... Have they been charged? Be- no. Have they been charged? Because that's an unlawful detention and that makes that sexual assault. That is an assault. The yeah. officers who did that wasn't lawful, yeah. so Look, they assaulted Personally, her. I think strip searching is assault regardless, but particularly of a minor. The police are maintaining that they followed all of their procedures. Um, they have not responded to the claim that she, as she had not breached any rules or laws she hadn't done anything wrong which is the claim being made by the relevant land council on her behalf they have not responded to those claims at all so they have basically said we followed the rules we followed procedures Um, so this goes back to the fact that the uh, criminal age of consent is 10 years of age Um, if if that had been lifted to 14 which is a proposal um, currently being discussed i believe in tasmania she would not have been subjected to this treatment so yeah, I mean, you mean the you mean the age, not the age of consent. You mean sorry. the um, age of responsibility. The the, the yes. idea that under a certain age, kids aren't responsible for a crime because they don't have the break. But I mean, really, even teenagers, even eighteen year olds. Yeah, are, again, ignoring the fact that she had not committed any crime. But yes, well, it, it, I, I would like to see. Yeah, so that one's pretty grim. Is that going? I mean, surely that's going further. Surely there are some civil rights. Um, legal organisations who would be pursuing the police for this because if the police aren't going to do it themselves those officers should be charged with sexual assault like that is stripping a 13 year old girl the only way in which that would be lawful would be if they they were detaining her for if there was a lawful purpose and clearly there isn't so they should be charged sued yeah well the the land council chairman has 
has said that the family are seeking legal advice, um, but that's the most recent update I could find. Um, but if you thought that was the worst thing that Australia managed to do this week, well, I've got unfortunate news. Um, we've also had uh, international headlines um, over the past week about the spate of suicides of young girls in um, Aboriginal communities over the past uh, week or so from I think the first first one was on the 3rd of January um, we've had five young girls um, commit suicide uh, since the 3rd of January and it's just um, unbelievable to think that we've gotten to this point where there is so little support for communities that you know kids are killing themselves at this incredibly high rate so this isn't just like over the whole country this isn't just over the whole country a certain number of kids commit suicide and then this number it just happens to have been a spike in Aboriginal ones this is connected directly this is in the particular communities is particularly connected with some part of what we're doing no no this is in different communities five different locations I believe there uh, is um, a 15 year old Noongar girl from Perth um, a 12 year old girl uh, from a town near Adelaide a 14 year old girl in the east Kimberley um, and a 12 year old girl in Pilbara so individual cases, obviously... But that's a sudden massive spike. They're not normally... They're, of, they're yes. Usually significantly less than that one would hope. Yes. and That's different. So, I mean, the, the kind of response to this uh, from the government has been, oh, well, we've just given headspace, um, you know, $40 million increase in funding, so they're going to focus on this now. Um, but again, no one is talking about what really needs to happen here, which is, well, no, sorry, not no one. No white people are talking about what really needs to happen here, which is, of course, ownership of programs and organisations that are Indigenous-led and Indigenous-run to be working on these problems because um, Indigenous people do have the answers, but they seem time and again to lose out on funding to organisations led by white people. And it's clearly not working. We wouldn't have gotten to this point if it was. Um, so unfortunately, as horrific as the situation was for the girl in Hobart, um, we've got even worse things happening around the country to young women in Indigenous communities. Depressing. There was also that Tamil family, the Bilawila. Bil um, was supported by the local community. They wanted them to say. Dutton says they're not refugees, so tell them they're just going to go back and be persecuted. Mm, like all Tamil people from Sri Lanka, they have nothing to fear. Yeah, they'll be fine. Mm. Uh, well, keep in mind, last week we had the department declaring that being... Uh, executed or sent to hard labour in North Korea was not an insurmountable problem. Mm. Just because you're executed is not insurmountable. They, look, these are tough. Pe it's a tough crowd that about immigration. It's tough to get them with their execution is not insurmountable. It's tough to get them to be sympathetic to your plight. It's pretty hard to get worse than execution, and that, yeah. well, that's not enough apparently. So. What a department! I did like that uh, that the that the girl fleeing from Saudi Arabia, um, who's been picked up by Canada, and Australia's like, oh, we were snubbed. We were thinking about maybe perhaps doing something, but very cautiously, <laughs> like you hadn't offered her a place. She's probably now observed the way Australia treats refugees, and you're surprised that she's gone. Okay, Canada, you're offering me. Thanks, I'll take. Of course, you bloody did. Yeah, and not only that. I mean, Rahaf. Yeah, Rahaf Falconon actually was uh, had de Australia as her destination because she has uh, strong networks here. So she has really close friends that she would have been able to um, rely upon if she had been granted asylum in, in Australia. Um, but yeah, I did think that the most revolting thing about that whole case was not only that we did fail to process her claim in a timely fashion, but that then the tabloid media decided to attack Rahaf and her credibility for having accepted Canada's offer when it came through before an Australian offer that may not have ever materialised. So suddenly 
first she's the enemy because she is seeking asylum and then she is the enemy because she didn't come here as a refugee she chose somewhere else because our record of you know treating refugees as is evidenced by the Wheeler family is so incredible that this is you know obviously the dream location for a person who is fleeing their murderous father well keep in mind too we've, we've, we're busy establishing a record of treating even if we do let somebody come here uh first of all, we're cutting off their income supports we're also um taking away making them basically second class citizens because they've if anything ever happens or if they ever commit a crime or their family ever committed a crime or anything like that um they they get an extra punishment over what Australian citizens would be. They'd be deported back into into danger because our government, basically our government's busy undermining the benefit of citizenship here anyway. So yeah, and we're surprised. <laughs> but how precious is it for Australia to be like, oh, you want to come here? Well, I don't know. I don't know. And they're like, okay, cool. We'll go somewhere else. We're like, hey, we hadn't even what what? How how dare you not like d- hang on the end of our hook, waiting for our us to deign to consider helping you. How dare you just get off the hook and go and get... get While your family members are in Thailand trying to kidnap you to take you back to Saudi Arabia. Can't imagine why she said yes. And the UNHCR had stated uh, repeatedly that the longer she was in Thailand, the higher, um, the more at risk she was because it is very difficult um, to protect someone's physical safety uh, in a place like Thailand when there are powerful people um, trying to get at them. It's like we still, still take pride in the idea that people want to get here. We want people to want to get here and then to say, "Go fuck you, go fuck yourselves." We want, we want. Yeah, them we to just try. want to be able to turn them off. Yeah, turn them we away. We get a sick thrill out of turning people away. That's apparently what it is. Because if it was simply that we didn't want them to come here, then her going to Canada shouldn't have bothered anybody. Mm. And if it was that we do think of ourselves as a humane, compassionate nation that looks after refugees, then we shouldn't have been dicking around with her application or all of the other refugees' rights in the first place. Like we can't have it both ways. Anyway, what a country. Meanwhile, the Department of Immigration's uh, favourite reporter at the Daily Telegraph, Sheridan Holderhead, um, was reporting that a, basically a drop from the department that we'd smashed a people smuggling syndicate. Um, apparently, before the latest boat uh, hit the water, because isn't that kind of by definition? Whenever you smash a syndicate and stop them sending boats, it will be before the one that they would have sent. Like that doesn't tell me how many boats did hit the water before they smashed them. But I love that sentence. Like it's a Complete truism. Of course, before the latest boat hit the water, by definition, whenever you smashed them, the next one would have been the latest boat and you stopped it. Like, what? And they also report that uh, it brings the number of people smuggling ventures successfully stopped under Operation Sovereign Borders to 80, with a total of 2,573 people prevented from risking their lives at sea. No. But I thought that that the success of our you know offshore torture camps was that people no longer wanted to come to australia and that therefore there were not 2573 people to prevent from risking their lives isn't that the rationale on which we keep these people we torture these people so that they don't try and it's totally worked because the boats have stopped wait a minute what are these boats that we're still stopping uh hang on also i don't think that's true where it says that they've stopped the 80 ventures i'm willing to bet that that includes the turnbacks and the takebacks, the ones where they intercept them at sea, in which case they didn't stop those people risking their lives at sea. They ris- they're they still risking their lives at sea when they catch them in the water. They're also even more risking their lives at sea when they literally turn them back and drag them back to sea. There's so much of the way the Daily Telegraph reports all this that is bullshit. But yes, then they have you have Dutton trying to say, look, see, the boats that I said have stopped and the boats that Scott Morrison has a little token on his desk saying that he stopped them, they're still coming. So 
we need to, and more of them will come under labour. And you're like, but your whole argument is that you've stopped them. No, but wait a second. That's not true because also we've had uh, Shane Newman, who if you forget who that is because you never hear from them, it's the opposition immigration spokesperson, saying that they will actually boost the AFP numbers so that they deter and disrupt more people smugglers at the source. So Dutton's claim is is not correct. Labor's going to be even more hard-ass than the Libs on this, so they say. Yes, because their story is that Australian authorities are smashing the people smugglers. So this isn't that... The, this story specifically that they haven't been able to stop them coming with their turnbacks or with their brutalising refugees on hell, in remote hellholes, this story is, no, no, we need to be on the ground smashing these people smuggling rings. And then their story admits that Labor is planning on putting more resources into that. So wouldn't that be more effective if that was your aim? Only if you follow actual logic, which, as we've ably demonstrated today, is not always the case with the Coalition. No. All right. Look, it's too sad, any on, on um, Australia vs. Humanity. Can I read you a an unsolicited text message that, that certain people were receiving this week? Because it's it's the unsolicited text message. Sure. Go ahead. I love unsolicited text messages. It is the unsolicited text message to complete all unsolicited text messages. This text message says, from UAP, that means that's... Uh, you know, Clive Palmer has got, got his party now instead of the palmer united it's now the united australia party as in oh that doesn't sound at all racist well it's the previous version of the liberal party the the liberal party was what menzies menzies was prime minister originally under the uap and then they turned that into liberal party so apparently the liberal party when they changed their name and and restarted they didn't bother like keeping on registering the old version in case somebody might pinch it so somebody's pinched it anyway clive palmer has pinched it jesus when elected United Australia Party will ban unsolicited political text messages, which Labor and Liberal have allowed. That is the dream unsolicited text message to receive, though, surely. <laughs> Look, I find this text message that you sent me annoying, so I'm glad that you're going to ban unsolicited text messages like the one you just sent. Dear me. Do people really think their phone number is safe these days? I find that amazing that there's such uproar. I hate unsolicited text messages as much as the next person, but I fully understand that my phone number cannot be protected from such things, not in any, not without extreme measures anyway. No, no. I, I believe that by taking strict measures, I've been able to keep myself safe from data mining, which is why, of course, I just did the 10-year uh, photo challenge thing on Facebook, thereby giving an algorithm <laughs> an ability to tell how much I aged over 10 years and use that for data match, for, you know, improving their facial recognition software. Yeah, you know, I'm not a sucker at all. It's all great. All right, let's <laughs> let's leave it there. There are a couple of stories that we might come. We might we might do a follow up um, unless, say, you know, a new baby suddenly appears in the next few days, thereby stuffing up my plan to record a podcast on Monday. But we might do. Let, let's follow up these uh, in a, in an episode next week, uh, including uh, a new IPA watch. Uh, some horrifying news about just how brutal this government's been to people on Centrelink. Uh, we probably should have a chat about the pill testing thing. So look, there are more. There's more that we can discuss. But uh, Kristen, should we should we leave it there for now? Yes, I'll just give one final thought, which is back to our idea about trying to think about what we can do to uh, address some of these issues and noting that we've got an election coming up in New South Wales and a federal election on the books. I would say get in touch with. Um, local activists in your area if you're not already figure out what they're campaigning on and how you can help to change the government so that we hopefully have at least some chance of making some progress on some of these issues over the next three years 
more than changing the government, you know, we don't we need to just make, try and make sure that the government that replaces the Libs isn't a straight Labor government? Don't we need it to be like a, a Labor government where they have to work with the Greens? Like that's that's the one where we actually get less shit. Look, that's that's a stretch goal. As, as a biased person, I would say yes. I think that would be the optimal outcome of the realistic outcomes for the next um, election cycle. But at the very, very least, at the barest minimum, we absolutely have to kick out um, these Liberal governments because as we can see, they're killing people, they're killing the environment, um, they're killing wildlife, and it's not going to stop um, or even slow down unless there is a change and a change really soon. Yes, it's going to be a big year. All right, well, let's leave it there. We'll follow up with a, a further episode next week. Um, thank you, Kristen, for coming back. People can find you on the Twitters. Yes, uh, my handle is at Kristen8x. And otherwise, thank you, everybody, for coming back. Uh, thank you to Robin Gray for the music, Alex Long for the artwork. Thank you to our Patreon subscribers for keeping the podcast running. And thank you, everybody, who engages with us on the at well, may we say Twitter uh, and uh, who has rated us on positively on iTunes. Thank you, everybody, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, Jeremy. Bye. Bye.